Honourable guests, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this, uh, this evening's lecture organised by the Hellenic Observatory here at the London School of Economics. I must say, uh, with such a very full lecture theatre, I can see that it has struck a strong chord and been very popular. Let me say that not all of our seminars are uh, this well attended, so thank you for coming uh, this evening. In recent years, uh, we've been able to welcome a number of leading Greek public figures to speak at the school. Uh, if I just read the names without you indicating pleasure or antagonism, uh, let me say that uh, the first person on my list here is Kostas Karamanlis, Kostas Simitis, Dora Bakoyanis, uh, Yorgos Alagoskoufis, Yanis Papandoneou. Um, I think I read those sufficiently quick enough not to have any response from the audience. Uh, they have each spoken here at the LSE in recent years. We've also hosted a lecture by the Patriarch, His All Holiness of Bartholomeus. For our lecture series, we endeavor to maintain a balance, a balance between different political parties and opinions, whilst also recognizing the level of public interest likely to be attached <coughs> to um, a, a speaker. Well, our speaker this evening uh, qualifies on all counts. We've been very keen to host him for some time. As many, as many of you know, uh, Yorgos Papandreou is an alumnus of the London School of Economics. He received a master's degree uh, in 1977 from the sociology department. Uh, let me say, however, I can't actually believe that George was here at the school just for one year. Why? Because since I've been here at the London School of Economics, it seems that every other Greek I speak to claims to have been a student with George Papandreou here at the LSE. They say, George and I go back a long way, and I'm wondering what on earth the connotation of that may be. But uh, let me then say that if so many people claim to have been friends, students, compatriots of uh, George whilst being at the LSE, then I can only put forward two possible explanations. Either, in fact, George Papandreou stayed at the LSE secretly for at least a decade, <laughs> or alternatively, he must have been here at the LSE and taken at least 20 different courses whilst he was here. Either way, I think there's probably a question of unpaid student fees to raise uh, <laughs> by the end of the evening. The LSE, as you can appreciate, has long been a pole of attraction for students from Greece uh, for many, many years. Indeed, the LSE Alumni Association in Greece uh, is one of our most active and supportive branches. I'm delighted that its head, that is the head of the Hellenic LSE Alumni Association, Dimitris Palaskivas, is with us this evening uh, in the audience. Let me just uh, say to those of you who may not be aware, a few years ago, the LSE Alumni Association in Greece organized an event which was the largest ever, the largest event ever for the LSE alumni associations outside the UK. The largest ever a remarkable achievement. And I urge those of you who are, who are current students at the LSE to join this association 
the Alumni Association in future years. Jealousy Alumni Association is very big in Greece. I'm tempted to say that in, the, in Western Europe we have the Freemasons. In Greece you have the LSE Alumni Association. <laughs> Join it, it's, it's worth it. I'm also very pleased that uh, with us this evening uh, is Erasmus Galeazatos, who is uh, the head of PASOC UK, a uh, gentleman uh, here. I'm very pleased to welcome uh, him and his uh, colleagues from PASOC UK. I was uh, left wondering whether there is an equivalent organization in Greece for the British Labour Party, for example. <laughs> Uh, I imagine this could be quite a large organization after the next British election. <laughs> anyway, we're very pleased that uh, George has agreed to speak on the theme of pro pro progressive governance, uh, Greece and the new international order. The theme of governance, of course, c connects so many issues. The global economic crisis has instigated a debate on the new global institutions needed to bring stability and equity. As president of the Socialist International, George is in a privileged position to comment on how the left is responding to the current economic crisis. Also, in Greece last December, we saw on our television screens the worst riots in Europe for many years. There was clearly a theme, therefore, of the public's alienation from the Greek political process. Let me pause and insert a plug at this stage. Our LSE Hellenic Observatory, uh, this week in fact, has published a new book uh, on the Greek riots of last December, uh, which is a collection of essays from different uh, writers looking at the causes and implications of the riots of last uh, December in Greece. And you can find out more information about that book uh, from the website of the Hellenic Observatory uh, later this week. Back to tonight. Uh, tonight we've uh, decided on a slightly different format than usual. Uh, George has agreed to speak for about 15 minutes or so raising his uh, key themes. I will then uh, attempt to pick up on a few points and ask some questions, and will then open the uh, proceedings for questions from the audience. There should be plenty of time for you as members of the audience to put your questions uh, to George Papandreou. And then, if you've all behaved yourselves, then uh, you're all invited to attend a reception uh, which will be in the Student Services Center, the atrium, which is a large room on the left as you leave this lecture theater. You're all invited to that uh, drinks reception to be able to uh, meet George and others on an informal basis. So I think I've said more than enough. Let me now invite you to give a very warm welcome back to the London School of Economics to one of our most prestigious uh, alumni in Greece. Please welcome Yorgos Papandreou. Well, good evening and uh, thank you all for coming 
here this evening. It's very glad to be back, and I'd like to thank Kevin, Professor Kevin Featherstone, for giving me the opportunity to pay back my dues uh, through this grueling experience of question and answers, which I'll go through tonight. No, I think it'll be a pleasure to be with you and, and, and discuss with you and hear what you have to say and to ask on some very interesting issues which we both in Greece but around the world are facing. But I'd like to thank uh, the Hellenic Observatory for the very important work that it has been conducting over the years since it was founded in 1996. During that period of time, I was uh, also a minister and uh, supported, and I do continue to support the work, and particularly now, the during critical developments in Greece, I believe that the Hellenic Observatory can make a very important contribution, not only to understanding what Greece is today, but also in finding and proposing ideas and solutions for Greece of tomorrow. So again, I assure you my full support for your future work. If you watch Greek television, you will come across hundreds of ads for mobile, telephone, and internet services. One of these ads kept on reminding me of my years here at uh, LSE. It uses a jingle from a group I used to listen to in the 70s called 10 Years After. The refrain of the song goes like this. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I'll leave it up to you. If there's one message I would like you to take home tonight, it is this. Don't leave your fate up to some higher force. Don't leave your fate up to some leader who promises you heaven on earth or preaches salvation. Does this mean I'm saying don't trust anything or anyone? A nihilistic message about the world, our societies, our politics? No, my message is a message of optimism. What I am saying is simply we cannot wait. We must act today to restore trust. To restore trust in our democratic institutions, confidence in our political systems, restore solidarity and security to our societies, our neighbors, our citizens, so that we can take on the major global, national, or local challenges we face. I'm certainly not here to make grandiose promises. I'm here to say that we can and we must change our world. And I'm here to ask you, whether you are a Greek or whether you are a citizen from another corner of this world, to participate in our common project. Because although I used to have a head of dark hair, I today share the frustration of our younger generation. And I'm lucky to also have two good advisors, my son Andreas and my daughter Margarita, who is here and studying in London, who are both of university age. And traveling around the world, but also seeing the potential my country has, but is being wasted 
I know the frustration of the younger generation. Only a few months ago, as um, Professor Featherstone said, thousands of young Greeks took to the streets to express their frustration with our political system. And there are plenty of reasons for young Greeks to despair. During the last five years, the new democracy government, the new conservative government, has brought the economy to the brink of collapse and paralyzed progress on all fronts. Like so many Greeks, I feel both sorrow and outrage for my country. A country where only five years ago people were confident and optimistic about their future. A country that hosted one of the safest, the most hospitable Olympic Games ever. A country that had joined the Eurozone, was playing a crucial role for peace, democracy, stability in the Balkans, had developed a new relationship of hope with its historical rival, Turkey, had been instrumental in Cyprus's accession to the European Union, and had boosted membership prospects for other Southeast European countries. Today, Eurostat classifies Greece as one of the most pessimistic nations and peoples in the European Union. We have a job market where political patronage and cronyism deprive graduates of decent jobs and prospects. One in four young people are unemployed. Parents crippled by debt must work two or three jobs to support their families. One in five Greeks are now living below the poverty line. Greek families pay more than any other European for their health and education out of their own money. Public spending on education accounts for just 3% of the GDP, the lowest in the Eurozone. We have an academic system that suffocates the aspirations of a dynamic youth, promotes boring and uninspiring rote learning, does not connect with the needs of our economy. And I also hear many younger Greeks saying, well, maybe we should leave our country and find a better future outside, something which we only heard maybe 40 years ago and before then with when we did have mass migration. Underlying all these social and economic problems is also an overwhelming sense that we don't have the rule of law, but the rule of the powerful, a sense corruption, a sense of inequality, a sense that our political system has been captured and that many resources, whether they are human or natural resources, are being squandered. This is not the real Greece. Even the vast majority of demonstrators in Greece were not the violent militants you may have seen on television. They were ordinary people from all walks of life who took to the streets to peacefully protest social injustice and a state of corruption. And there is a, I would say, simple question, but also a frustrating paradox that we, not only in Greece, but throughout the world are facing, humanity is facing. For the first time 
in human history, we have the knowledge, the technology, the wealth to design a different world. Yes, there is poverty, but we have the capacity to make poverty history. Our globe is overheating, but we, cr we can reduce carbon emissions by investing in renewable energy and innovative alternative technologies. We have high unemployment, but we can create decent work or future prospects through training for all. With only a few billion dollars or euros a year, we could achieve universal literacy with cheap $100 or maybe a few more dollars laptops, we could bridge the digital divide. With the monies that we are now going to, we are now putting in to rescue the banks or to retired failed bankers, we could easily provide decent health care and a viable pension system for all. If we produced cheaper medicine, put our resources together, our heads together, our governments together, we could stop pandemics, which uh, may be emblematic of what globalization can bring, such as HIV, AIDS, malaria, or even swine flu. So the slogan, yes we can, is not a hollow slogan. It is possible to change the world. The goal of more just, safe, and sustainable societies is no longer beyond our reach. So why haven't we succeeded? Why haven't we fulfilled, for example, the United Nations Millennium Development Goals adopted in 2000 by all governments in the United Nations? And these goals are in no way revolutionary. And with the recent crisis, we have seen that when there is a will, money can be found, and lots of it. But is it going to social protection, education, development, green development, alternative energy, debt relief? Well, there, are many, there may be many reasons why our systems have failed us, but I would propose that we need a radical democratization of the way we govern our world, our resources, our societies. We need to make our politics more responsive, more accountable, more representative, more participative, to guarantee that people do come first. With the, with the crash of the two walls, the Berlin Wall some years ago and the Wall Street only a few months ago, we have seen that we need a radical and democratic rethink of governance in the world. Both communism and neoliberalism have failed us. These two world, cold world, cold war, two cold war dogmas, which were supposedly designed to serve the people, ended up propping up political systems which transferred both wealth and power to an elite minority. Yes, inequality, inequality of wealth and inequality of political power is at the core of today's crisis. It is not simply an economic crisis. 
it is deeply a political one. Both Paul Krugerman, the Nobel laureate, and Kenneth Sokoloff have written extensively about how inequality, how the neoconservative economic policies recently have stifled social progress and corrupted democracy. According to Sokolov, who wrote very much about Latin America, he says that as these inequalities persist, elites are able to institutionalize an unequal distribution of political power. In his recent book, Paul Collier describes how weak democratic institutions, particularly in African nations, rich in oil or diamonds, are captured by multinationals, which in turn corrupt leadership in these countries. And rather than these countries rich in resources becoming rich societies and prosperous societies, they become societies of conflict, misery, and poverty. But this is not just an African, an Asian, or a Latin American problem. I would propose that this is also a problem for our developed democracies. This is also a problem for global governance. The recent collapse of Wall Street indeed revealed that we do not have a free market system, but in fact we have a global non-transparent collusion of powerful, powerful business, media, sometimes military, or even mafia as Misha Glenny would tell us, to concentrate wealth and power in the hands of the few. The Nobel Prize winning economist Joe Stiglitz has called this unholy alliance of business and government welfare corporatism. I, coming from my Greek experience, would call it clientelistic capitalism. And I believe my former LSE professor, Nikos Muzelis, would like this term as he, was written much, he has written much about clientelism in Latin America. Buying favors, buying off politicians, buying off voters, undermining the independence of the checks and balances of our democratic institutions, parliament, our justice system. Yes, the huge unequal distribution of power and wealth is threatening our democratic institutions today, threatening them through corruption and through captivating them through special interests. And this in turn has meant that we have wasted our resources, squandered our environmental resources, our human capacity. We have not planned according to the needs of our peoples. And this has brought insecurity, polarization, sometimes violence around the world, but certainly the crisis which we are living through these days. And this, I pretend, is because your voice, our voice, is not duly represented, represented in our global and national political system today. It's no wonder our citizens, no wonder our younger generation are skeptical, if not even cynical. This is why we need a radical democratic change for the people, by the people, of the people. So the, es the essence of the socialism or social democracy I espouse today is not based on any dogma or some final solution. It is based on the need for society that respects values, 
and principles. And I would identify three overarching principles. First, the need to rejuvenate our democracies and to create participative societies. Second, social solidarity, just distribution of wealth. And third, sustainable development for a green economy. As the largest political organization in the world with 170 member parties in all five continents, the Socialist International can unite the world's citizens around a new global agenda to achieve these goals. We are already engaged in a deliberative process to set, set in motion a new model of economic governance. Last September, just after the crisis broke out, we set up a commission on global financial issues chaired by Joe Stiglitz and comprised of political leaders, ministers, and experts from around the world. We are not opposed to globalization, but we are determined to humanize globalization. To this end, we are calling for the Washington Consensus to be replaced by a new global consensus built on sustainable development and solidarity. We have outlined a roadmap with concrete proposals for a new global and political architecture. I'd be happy to elaborate on our proposals in the Q&A session later. But coming back to Greece, the problem of good governance is central to the widespread social and economic problems we are facing. That is why in PASOK we have launched a series of reforms to ensure that our decision-making process is more inclusive, our institutions are transparent, and our leaders tra accountable. We have also outlined five national goals, which we think are of the highest priority for the future of Greece. First, to reestablish an active Greek foreign policy that will promote democracy, stability, economic development in the Balkans, and beyond, our wider neighborhood. Our active participation in the European affairs must be restored. Secondly, deep reforms of our educational system with the necessary investment in human capital. We have said we need to invest at least 5% of GDP in our educational systems. Third, reforms of our tax, social welfare, and health system to restore both equity and to create efficient systems. Fourth, a transition, a major radical, if you like, transition towards a green economy, from tourism to agriculture, from energy to transportation, from construction to education. We should move our economy, our citizens, to become a leader in this area around the world. But fifth, and not least, we cannot do all this if we do not have the courage to make major changes in our political system. Democratizing our heavily centralized, patronage-oriented public bureaucracy. Fighting corruption and nepotism. And our principles for democratic governance are, first of all, transparency. We say every single 
document signed by a Greek minister or high public official will be made public online, as an example. Secondly, accountability as to where public money goes. Third, meritocracy in public service and a constant evaluation of governance, government achievements. Fourth, inclusiveness through public deliberation and participation in policymaking. My goal, which I know is an ambitious one, is to make Greece a model of democratic governance. From today's citizens who feel marginalized, isolated, and abandoned, abandoned to their fate by a corrupt state, we want to move to a citizen with rights and responsibilities, a citizen who also actively participates in the demos and is no longer alienated from work, his or her neighborhood, his city. I envision a Greece where every citizen contributes to the creation of a sustainable and inclusive society. So my invitation tonight is to you to participate in our quest for a democratic change. In Greece and in solidarity around the world, we must neither give in to fatalism nor search for a new dogma or new fundamentalism or absolutisms or new authoritarian leaders holding out promises. This would only lead to more violence and misery. We need to strengthen our democratic culture and institutions. The, world, the word democracy, as you know, in Greek means the rule of the demos, or the people. But we need to go one step further, using new technologies, such as social networks, our interactive and collaborative tools, creating a deliberative democracy, our web tools. I see Anthony here somewhere, who was, uh, we've talked about this very often, uh, how we, Anthony Burnett, working on an open democracy and how we should deliberate more through the internet, so that we can become, as we would say in Greek, dimiurgi. Dimiurgos in Greek means someone who creates, a creator. Literally, it means demos and ergo. In fact, the work of the people. So let us all participate and become creators of tomorrow's world. This is today's democratic challenge for the world and for Greece. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for that. You've uh, covered a number of topics which I'm sure people in the audience will wish to take up. Could I perhaps take the opportunity of um, raising three themes with you, uh, two on Greece, but the first on the global economic crisis? Uh, as president of the Socialist International, uh, you've spoken about the International's uh, establishment of a new commission with Joseph Stiglitz, uh, a new commission on the global financial order. Uh, and you've also written about the need to go beyond the recent G20 conclusions. 
let me combine those two elements. As we look around Europe, at least, perhaps internationally, uh, one gets the sense that the, the left is on the defensive. You're suggesting that the left should uh, promote a new agenda of new global financial institutions to establish security against the recent economic crisis. What is needed beyond the G20 conclusions and why should we be optimistic that in the current uh, climate, the left is in a position to help set that agenda? Well, thank you, uh, Kevin. First of all, talking about the left, oh, let me yeah. turn this on. Is it on it's now? okay. Yes. It's, it's certainly okay. on. Talking about the left, the left is changing, and, and the left went through uh, in Europe particularly, a period where the dominant neoliberal theory actually very often subsumed many of its policies. Uh, we were also, in part, taken up by much of this mythology that the market will work wonders by itself. But um, uh, as head of the Socialist International, I have often said, and once I had a protest from the from a U.S. ambassador, I had said that, uh, well, we, we represent social democracy. Unluckily, socialism was, had got a bad name from the USSR. But democracy also, under the Bush era, uh, lost a lot of its shine. And we are seeing, of course, with recent events uh, in the U.S. around the Abu Ghraib issue and the Guantanamo, what in fact what an impact this has created for the largest, or the, maybe not the largest, because I think India may be the largest, but one of the most, one country that is considered the proponent of, of democracy throughout the world. Yes. So what I am saying is that our agenda is to restore these values of democracy and of social solidarity, uh, where they both must go that together. That means going beyond the, what the G20 declared. And that means going beyond, that means creating, seeing what this means at the local, national, I would say European, of course, also, but also global level. If we want to talk about the global level, and we are talking, we have two commissions which I have created as head of the Social International. One is the Stiglitz Commission, another commission, the other one is on uh, basically the, the, the energy crisis and the green economy, headed by Juran Persson, former Prime Minister of Sweden, and Ricardo Lagos, former President of Chile, uh, we're saying that we need a more representative world body when we talk about financial structures, and in general we need more representative structures for governing this planet. Who is governing this planet? How are we going to together manage this planet? The G20 is only 20 countries, albeit they are the largest economies. But uh, there are many other countries uh, around the world and some of the poorer countries that have no voice. There are many other countries of medium-sized range, such as Greece, that also have no voice. Or we, of course, have uh, a regional voice through the European Union, which participates in the in G20. So what we have said is we need to find a structure at the global level which will allow for greater representation, particularly of the regions, so that we could have African region, the European region, the Latin American region, the Asian region, and so on, 
and so forth uh, in this structure, and that this should also be in the confines of the UN, strengthening the UN, and not as sort of an arbitrary ad hoc kind of a body. Obviously, there's, it's, G20 has made a move forward in, in, in expanding from the G7 or G8, but we're talking about greater, demo greater democratic uh, change uh, in our global institutions. That's why we've come up with ideas such as a world financial organization, making sure the IMF is more representative, uh, uh, changing uh, the, the, the policies of, of the European uh, Central Bank, which will look at issues not only of inflation, but also of development, green economy, employment, and so on. Okay, thank you. No doubt there'll be questions on that theme a little later. Could I now then switch to matters uh, related to Greece? You finished with a bold claim that if you were to form the next government, you would like to make Greece, quote, a model of democratic governance, uh, fighting corruption and nepotism, as you put it. And you made this very interesting proposal about transparency, that every document signed by a minister or high public official would be placed on the internet. Can I just explore what are the limits to that? For example, uh, you have long experience of being a Minister of Foreign Affairs. Presumably there would be aspects of diplomatic negotiations or uh, draft documents uh, switched between Athens and Skopje, for example, which might be not placed immediately on the internet. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, first of all, we, we have uh, uh, a system which is very non-transparent in Greece, so there's much room for change. Yes. Secondly, what we're saying is, particularly when we're dealing with uh, the public's money, where a, a minister signs a document to give money somewhere, whether it is a procurement or whether it is um, uh, an employer, an em employee, that we this this immediately goes on to the to the internet. It goes online. Uh, otherwise, it's not valid. It's not legal. And uh, we may have a question, for example, of military procurements. But what we have said here is, let's take military procurements to at least to the parliament to be checked by a inter inter party, if you like, or a all party parliamentary committee, so that there is greater transparency there. And uh, we also will like to see that if we do this at the ministerial level, uh, we would slowly move down to all other levels of, uh, of government, such as local government, where there also seems to be quite a bit of corruption also. So we would see that local government decisions would have to be on the internet and where you know, the neighbors can check and say, well, where did this money go? Who did it go to? So this would, I think, be one way, not the only, but one way to uh, check where people's monies go. I've suggested this again and again in Parliament. When I talk to the Prime Minister and we have a debate, I've suggested it when I've met him personally. And I've said, we could together sit down and work a number of proposals to change the way our public system works so that we have meritocracy, so that we have transparency, so that we have uh, accountability, evaluation of our practices, 
and and really promote uh, a, a, a more modern yes. public service. And uh, unluckily, he hasn't accepted. Uh, and uh, I, I have not only did I say this in 2004, five years ago, but then in 2005 and in 2006, we came up with very specific proposals, and now we are, we have put to the public very specific, uh, I would say, commitments to what we will do as government tomorrow. So uh, I just find that there is not the political right. will from the other side okay. to do that. I can see this, this would be a highly innovative uh, step. I can't see, think of parallels in other governments at the well, moment. I think, uh, I think Denmark and Holland have. Okay, thank you. We're doing some, some of this. Okay. And we have worked with uh, Transparency International on this also. Okay. But I was particularly interested in what the limits might be, what might not be made available, for example, in foreign affairs. Surely there'd be documents there which would not be made public, whether they're signed or not. Uh, the, uh, it is true that, uh, that uh, international affairs and, and some very sensitive issues would have to be possibly exempt. Okay. Uh, however, even there, there is a process where uh, other parties can ask for documents and in, um, in confidence can, can usually get most of them. Uh, so, so we would do this and this would be a, a trust which we would, of course, have to develop between the parties and which we, I think, have been able to establish over the years, uh, for the most, uh, even in areas of foreign affairs. Okay, that's impressive. Could I ask another question about coming into government uh, as prime minister? One of the things that strikes me in the Greek context is uh, very much that the system of governments emphasizes the power of ministries rather than the prime minister. In other words, coordinating this large uh, machine of governance seems to be an enormous task. One fact, the Prime Minister's office in Ireland uh, employs something like three times the number of staff of the Prime, Minister, Prime Minister's office in Greece. Greece uh, being something like three times as large as uh, Ireland. In other words, the, the this number of staff around the Prime Minister in Greece seems to be unusually small. Given the task of trying to coordinate government, given the task of accountability, given the task of trying to set new priorities, I wonder what uh, innovations you might make as Prime Minister managing the government machine, in addition to the point about transparency. First of all, one of the problems I believe we have in Greece is that you mentioned it. Uh, it is that we have a, even though a strong prime ministerial office, but not necessarily with the capacities to, to actually follow up uh, the, um, the priorities and, yes. and, and make sure that there's accountability by the ministers. So what happens in the end is that power is given to ministers and then they end up being a little bit like feudal lords, their own uh, feudal territory where they have followed their policies, may clash with other ministers and other ministries, and, and, and really not have a consistent a view uh, of, of where things are going. Uh, so we do need a stronger prime ministerial office. But I also would like to say that we need a greater capacity at the higher level of governance in our, in our 
uh, in our political system, in our, in our government. When I say higher capacity, I don't mean that we need to create a bigger government. We have a huge government in Greece, a huge public sector, but it's, it's so big and it's so bureaucratic that in fact it's ineffective. So we would in fact would say we would like to decentralize power to local government so that most of the services that people need are delivered directly <coughs> through local government, which is what most other democratic European countries have, whether it's the UK or whether it's Germany or whether it's Sweden or some other country. Uh, but what we need to do is, and therefore central government will have to be much slimmer, if you like, but much stronger in capacity uh, to monitor, to understand the type of problems, to research the type of different policies we could follow, to develop the necessary alternatives, to train the public servants in the new capabilities, the new needs, the new technology, and so on. So that's why what, what, what I am planning to do, if I am given the mandate by the Greek people, is to make sure that we choose at the highest of level the people that are advisors and general secretaries in a meritocratic way. We have excellent professionals and, and, uh, and in Greece and around the world. Many of them graduates of the LSE. Many of them graduates of the LSE. We need to use this capacity. Um, we say in Greece, uh, you know, usually you put in your kumbaros. Well, kumbaros is got, you know. That's that's not the that's not the policy I'll follow. Okay. I want to find the best we have, and we have good people, and we need to use our good people, men and women from around the world and in Greece. And then we can say that yes, of course, we will have a government which knows what it's doing a government which will bring in an innovation, a government which can bring in research and development, a government which can, uh, can serve the people in a better way. Okay. On the theme of bringing people in, it seems to be the appropriate time to open things up to the audience. Uh, there are people around the theater with uh, roving microphones to pick up the, the questions. Are there microphones both upstairs and, and downstairs? Uh, could we ask you to please to ask questions rather than uh, speeches, but could you also <laughs> identify who you are? Uh, could we take the gentleman with the spectacles here first, please? Hello, hello. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, my name is Kyriakos Chupras. I am a journalist, land correspondent of the Cyprus News Agency. Very, very noble taste. Sorry, can you put the microphone to That's it. Hello, hello. Yes, it's better, yes? We're fine. I said many, very, very noble aims of this very commentable lecture. I wonder, I wonder, whether there is a need to distinguish between what is good wishing, but theoretical, and what is or could be a realistic target. Like, for instance, you refer to specific aims of the, a new PASOK government. And, Chair, 
I wonder whether you allow me to ask also which is the strict limits of the subject. Could I? On Cyprus. No, go ahead. Please. It's yes. not outside the state limits. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> what is the PASOK position on Cyprus vis-a-vis -vis Turkey's ambition for the European Union? Thank you. Okay. Could we take a couple more? Sure, fine. Uh, we'll gentlemen, towards the front, uh, sorry, if you just wait for the microphone coming to you. Gentleman here, then the gentleman in, in green. Thank you very much. Um, well, I just wanted to basically ask, um, being someone who more or less is encountering the um, nepotism of the Greek embassy in New York, uh, I can say I'm th thankful that you're Where's pulling there you are. Okay. that um, yes. you're pushing that that goal forward of removing that. Um, basically, my question is your, your name again. Sorry. Uh, my name is Christopher Jovich. It's really long in Slavic, so if you want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Basically, what I'd like to say is okay. It says on the wall, "New International Order." Now, I was here a few weeks ago when George Soros was speaking. And he basically had his own vision of a new international order. And I questioned him about the new uh, liberal uh, policies of him and, say, people that are representative at the G20. And he gave me a very interesting answer. He basically told me that the proposals of, say, the left in this fight are very idealistic. And not only that, human nature, whatever that means, prevents people from doing things of a um, progressive nature because it's not in their self-interest. Now, what I'm interested in knowing is what do you think is the human nature of people in this regard? Can socialism function uh, in the way that we would hope? And uh, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, once again, thanks very much. Thank you. The gentleman down here in the green. Hello? Hello? You're on. Uh, okay, just a symbolic move. Uh, we, we, we uh, he's putting his hood up. <laughs> so I would like to ask you, Mr. Papandreou, uh, what are you going to do to reform this thuggish organization that is called the Greek police? Mm. Okay. Okay. So we have uh, three nice easy questions. There's a question on, on Cyprus. There's a question, a very specific question about human nature <laughs> and there's a question about the Greek police well first of all before we get to Cyprus you did imply that many th of what we're saying is wishful, th wishful thinking Mr. Tuberus uh, but I don't see why it's wishful thinking I don't see if you look around you will see people that are very capable in this room as in many other universities in and outside Greece I don't see why it's wishful thinking to say that we can set up a process where we use the high quality human capacity of Hellenism to run our country and run our public services. That is simply a question of political will. It is nothing else. And I have the political will to do this. And it is a question of political will to reform the police. When Pasok came to government in 1981, I remember, and our generation was, went through, uh, I remember military service where 
if you were on the left, you were sent to very specific areas of Greece. Um, you were, you were, you were, as I said, faculomenos. You had a, uh, uh, you you had your, it was a quote be called your your, your file yes. uh, on you about what your political beliefs were. So we had a task to to change as much as possible the, the, the Greek police and to make it not an enemy of the people uh, because the people were seen as an enemy by the authoritarian regimes we've lived through and they used the police of course as, as one of their arms in order to keep control uh, and that was of course uh, all through from the, from the Second World War the, the, the um, Civil War beyond the Civil War to, to, the, to the 60s and then the dictatorship until the 70s. So it took, it took a while, but we were able to turn this around. And I think when we left government in 2004, I'm not saying things were perfect, but we did have a police which was, we could, which was respected, which people felt safe in their neighborhoods. People felt that you know, there was, there was, they would respect, police would respect people. They wouldn't shoot a young boy. They wouldn't uh, sort of get into these types of activities. And, or they wouldn't be beat, beat up a, 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 an, obser an observer of a demonstration in Salonika and then be promoted for doing so. Uh, I feel that the Greek police has been uh, used by this government as unluckily traditionally has been done by the right is sort of seen as sort of an one of their political arms if you like uh, a, 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 a privileged privileged area of patronage and clientelism and this has destroyed I think both the morale and the and the workings of the police and we need to bring back uh, meritocracy in police in the police system uh, planning uh, police going to the neighborhoods uh, to, to help the the family, normal day-to-day -day crimes that are being that take place, uh, training, more education, and people who are employed in the police will be employed after strict uh, examination. So I think that this is something we need to, uh, unluckily, uh, return to uh, again, which we I thought had made a pretty good job of of doing by 2004. Now the idea you you protested. Uh, rightly so by putting a hood on your head. We have this, I think, quite absurd <coughs> law. I think that I, I'm sorry that the that Sarkozy also thinks that this will work. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it'll work. Saying that uh, uh, we will stop the violence or the storm throwing or the, or, or the youth protests if we uh, make wearing a hood illegal. Well, I think that this is uh, just just a, a, an expression of the inability of this government to really deal with these problems and the depth of some of these issues. Now, going to, to Cyprus and, and, and Turkey, I, you know very well, worked on this issue for a large part of my political life. And I have fought to come up with um, a decision that the European Union made in 1999 in Helsinki, which stated that all countries who want to become members of the European Union must respect European law, must respect good neighborliness,
good neighborly relationships, must respect all other members of the European Union, that would include, of course, Cyprus and Greece, uh, and uh, that we would be very much, and we are very much in favor of a European prospect for Turkey, and I have been very clear on that, but that there is a very specific roadmap of obligations. And I feel that uh, this government, our government, our Greek government, has not used this opportunity to really negotiate within the European context uh, solutions on, for example, the continental shelf uh, or on Cyprus as much as it could. I feel that it has not developed a real strategy and just left things to fate. And that has made things more complicated and more difficult. What I want to s send as a message is that, uh, yes, I, I will stand by this pledge of wanting to see Turkey move towards Europe, but that Turkey should not take Greece for granted, uh, and that the issue of Cyprus is a major issue which we must see solved. And I want to remind many who may not know in this room that the issue of Cyprus is not a, an issue of a problem between the Turkish Cypriots and the Greek Cypriots. It is an issue of an invasion of a country, Turkey, a military invasion into an independent country, the Cypriot Republic, the Republic of Cyprus. And today we still have thousands and thousands of Turkish troops occupying the northern part of Cyprus illegally. So I would say one first important move that Turkey could make is take out the troops. It wants to be in Europe, Cyprus is in Europe, Greece is in Europe. We don't need military presence on Cyprus. That would be one first move which would really help in developing a dynamic, a new dynamic for the solution of the Cyprus problem. Okay. Finally on a more Human philosophical issue. Well, yes, uh, neoliberalism has been based on the idea that people work and think only individual for their individual interests. And uh, that in fact issues or feelings such as empathy or solidarity or communal life are uh, nothing more than simply maybe an aggregate of individual interests. And uh, through this has come the theory that, well, then we need free markets where we allow, we allow everybody to have a free choice. Well, first of all, it's not true that everybody has a free choice because some people have better choices than others. Uh, some people have more money. Some people are born in better environments and therefore there is great inequality which does not allow for free choice. But secondly, even recent biological studies of the human brain uh, have shown that uh, the idea of community, the idea of uh, human empathy is in fact part of our hard wiring of our brain. So I would say that if we're talking about human nature, communal our community, living in a community, living amongst people, feeling a sense of solidarity, yes, that is part 
of a human being which we cannot, we cannot negate. So I would say, yes, there are individual interests, but we also feel very much a part of a society. And unluckily, neoliberalism has made us individuals very much alone. We need to bring back this humanity into our societies, this sense of solidarity and, and, human, uh, and human relations. Okay, let's take some more, uh, please. Could we take a question from the gentleman uh, in red at the front here, please? Thank you. Uh, is the mic on? Yeah, uh, Anthony on. Barnett from <coughs> Open Democracy. Thank you very much uh, for a very interesting discussion. You mentioned President uh, Obama and his famous election call, and you also talked about the co-creation of democracy in Greece uh, towards the end. Um, Obama uh, famously uh, uh, got the position he was through an open primary system. Uh, he would never have gained the nomination had it been from simply within the official party system itself. Uh, and I know that you've experimented with a degree of using open primaries in Greece. Could you say, A, something about what those experiments are and whether there's a, a public will and belief uh, in Greece that they, they could be effective? Um, and could I just add, as we have a, uh, a party, the, the governing party I think is in the Socialist International here, um, <laughs> that uh, it, it, it heavily bought into neoliberalism. Um, it has a very close electoral system, both for itself and in the country, and it's also lost control of the police. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, more questions. The gentleman in with the blue tie at the front, please. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. President, uh, one of the main... Could you uh, identify yourself? Sorry? Oh, Your name. My name is Pios Karanikolas. I'm a PhD student here at the uh, University of London. Uh, one of the main, maybe the cornerstone of the rule of law in uh, a democratic society uh, is the dependent of justice, the dependence of justice. Nowadays, uh, we believe in Greece that there is a political involvement in the operation of justice in Greece. Uh, my question is, if you believe this, and if you do believe this, what do you think you go it's going to be your first measure as a prime minister of Greece to uh, guarantee the independence of justice in Greece. Thank you. Okay, thank you. There's the gentleman, the, the very back in green. Yes. Could you clarify your apparently critical remarks about putting money into rescuing the banks? I think the marks ran along the lines of, rather than putting money into rescuing the banks, put it into healthcare reform, education reform, and so on. Wouldn't you agree that we are not going to get the international economy going again until we deal with the issue of the bank's toxic assets, till we clean them up and recapitalize them? And that's why putting money into the banks is so crucial, and it's crucial we do it urgently. Thanks. Sorry, could you just identify who you are? Yeah. Keith Raffin. Thank you. And we have a, a question. I'm sorry, I'm making you run quite a lot, but uh, the gentleman with the red tie here. Andrew Dismore, Member of Parliament. You talked about the rights and responsibilities of a citizen, and this is an issue we've been grappling with in the UK as well. Are you suggesting that access to rights should be contingent on responsibilities, and if so, what those responsibilities are beyond paying your taxes and obeying the law? Mm, okay. 
that's four questions. Should we? Do you want to deal with those now? Sure. Well, these are some uh, very important questions. Uh, beginning with the question on Greece, uh, on independence of justice, I think that is a cornerstone for any democratic society. Uh, it is a check and, and balance that we need. And therefore, we, we have, that's why we have the, the executive and the, the uh, parliamentary and then the legal branch many would say the media also as part of this, although very often the media are, are controlled by very specific interests. What we have seen, unluckily, in Greece in recent years is that there has been obviously an intervention or a politicization of justice. And uh, this, this is a worrying, uh, worrying development, which is undermining our democratic institutions, and it's undermining something even deeper. Our sense of confidence in justice. And if our citizens do not feel that there is a sense of justice, uh, that those who are in power, or those who are powerful, or those who have the means and the ways, uh, can influence or get away, or even bend the laws, uh, then why will our citizens want to abide by laws? Why will our citizens feel that they belong to this society? We immediately create a sense of rupture, a sense of alienation, a sense of lack of cohesion. So if we are talking about uh, a real unity within, within, within any society. We need to base this on basic principles. We need that at a national level. We need that at a global level. We need the sense of justice to be there. If we want to be able to feel that people, that people they feel that they are part, part of society, that if something goes wrong, there will be justice which will be, uh, which will be meted out. Uh, so I would, this is, this is a, a big issue in Greece as there have been a number of issues uh, of alleged, alleged um, corruption, high political officials. Government has uh, continued to deny uh, due procedure in Parliament to uh, make sure that these issues are out in the air and we, we actually examine them. And uh, they have found uh, a number of allies in the justice system which uh, have colluded, uh, whether it is uh, openly or, or in another way, they have colluded, however, in, in, in covering up these issues. So that's why we have said that we feel that this is something that is undermining our democratic system. What will we do? Well, obviously, if you want to change the, in, in Greece, if, to, to make uh, major changes in the justice system so that it becomes more independent, much more independent, we also need to change the constitution. And that takes many years, particularly since we just did only a few years, only last, the, you know, the last and this, this, this session of parliament. Uh, however, what we do, what we can do, is, as you know, in Greece, uh, it is the cabinet that appoints the leadership of the, of the justice system, uh, the, ju the judiciary. 
what we can do is rather than having the cabinet appoint, we can have public hearings of parliament for the leadership, for the candidates for the leadership of, of the judiciary system. So in fact, the, the, the transparency, uh, the public hearings which we will have will be a, an important guarantee, maybe not an absolute, but an important guarantee that we choose the best that we have, the ones that have the cleanest of records, the most independent, the most uh, loyal to their profession and to, their, to the goals of, of, of justice. So I think this is one thing which we, we can do, and I think there are many others also. Now, if we go to the issue of, uh, of, of democracy and, and primaries, uh, and I've talked with uh, Anthony Burnett over the years on this issue, um, we decided in Greece to elect the leader of our party. I was elected twice through primaries, through uh, a national primary. Uh, I believe that has strengthened us, not weakened us. Even though in the second election there were, I didn't have an opponent. The first one, I had two opponents. The second one, and of course, it can be a bitter battle within a party. Uh, and within families, you can have some of the bit, most bitter of battles. But I think what it has shown is that, again, on the basis of principles, we have a much stronger unity uh, of a party and a much greater participation and understanding of our positions, our policies. And uh, Just to supplement that, sorry, how do you prevent someone in Canada who's not Greek voting in such an election? How, how do you control for non-PASOK voters uh, voting for, for, for elect you? For non-PASOK voters, we cannot control. For non-Greek, we can, because they will have a, have a passport. Yes. But for non-PASOK, no. And as a matter of fact, uh, um, in we, we did primaries for for my election or for our leadership election, but also we, we did it on, a, on an, an experimental basis for local elections, too. And I do remember going to one of the primaries uh, for a local election, Megara, and I had a number of party cadres coming to say, but you know, there are these right-wing voters and they're coming to vote in our primaries. I said, that's great. That is great. Now, some people are saying they will send these armies of voters to change the... the no, people are not armies. People, people, are, not, uh, uh, people are not soldiers uh, in, in politics. Maybe, maybe some may do this in a fanatic way. But in general, if you trust the wider population, you have very small groups that may want to do this. In general, you will have people who are genuinely want to participate and say, if this party opens up the doors for me and I can go vote and influence this party, I'll go and do it. And maybe even support this party, maybe even support the candidate afterwards. And I think that's what happened. So I think what we're saying is we are giving, we are saying, yes, of course, our, our members are our basic core, but we're opening it up to friends and, and, and even non-friends, uh, non-party non supporters, if you like. But there are other areas of de deliberation which we need to work on, too. Uh, the Internet we're trying to use, as Barack Obama did. Uh, and, uh, and the Internet, of course, is not yet a real electronic demos and not a really electronic democracy, uh, although it's developing new forms. But can you imagine, for example, uh, I'm sure most of you, or all of you, know Wikipedia. 
Well, think of Wikipedia as an amazing human experiment of people collaborating with each other throughout the world, this planet, to develop a project. I don't think humanity has ever witnessed something like this in yes. the past. Well, why can't we as governments do this? Not only for our, our problems in Greece, but also for problems possibly, well, not only for our citizens in Greece, but also bringing in expertise from around the world. For example, we, have, we had fires in, in, in Olympia, uh, in, in, in Peloponnese last year. We put on the web uh, a, 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 a uh, contest for ideas of how we would change and, and, uh, and restructure the whole region to make it a prototype of a green economy, of tourism, of education, athletics, culture, and so on. And we'll be getting the final results, I think, in April, this end by end of this month. Um, so I'm conscious of the time. Do you want Andrew's point was about citizen okay. responsibilities and rights. Uh, to what extent are, are rights dependent on responsibilities? Well, I, I, I think we would agree. I don't know if it's maybe an obvious point, but uh, uh, if you, if you, I, I have felt the more more people feel that they are they are respect their rights are respected, the more responsible they feel. Uh, if you can give them the possibilities for for participating, then in general, that's my feeling, they will be uh, taking on more responsibility. Now you need a political system also that educates. I think this is where politics uh, has to change because we have often created an image of a leader that knows everything and will bring solutions to you and all you have to do is pay your taxes, sit at home, obey the law and everything will be solved. I don't think our complex world will work that way anymore. And politicians don't have all the solutions. But they do have the way, the possibility, to democratize our societies, to bring in ideas and solutions, and participation, and co-creation, as we were talking about okay. in order to deal with the issues. There's the gentleman Finally, the, the bank about <coughs> the banks, the rescue of the banks. You were not implying that uh, the bailout of the banks was wrong. No, I'm, I, I, there are different ways to bail the banks out. Uh, and there has been quite a bit of criticism. For example, uh, I was recently on the Stiglitz Commission in New York just a few weeks ago where we talked about the recent bailout of the toxic assets in the United States. And there was a criticism that money was given to buy up or, in fact, um, incentives to buy up uh, these toxic assets without really knowing what the prices of these toxic assets were and are and the risk would not be going to the hedge funds or the banks that would be buying these up or the investors that would be buying these up. They would, in fact, get a stipend. The risk will go to the taxpayer. Uh, so the question is, when we have these bailouts, uh, there is a, 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 a real redistributive effect of wealth. Are we redistributing to help our national economy? Are we redistributing to help small and medium-sized enterprises? Or are we simply redistributing to fill out the black holes of the banks? And I think this is what, uh, what the criticism uh, has, has come in. Read Joe Stiglitz. He'll, he has a whole article on this. OK. Thank you. I think we have time just for one last question. And I'm going to disappoint uh, about 90 people in the room waving at me at the moment. Uh, could I, uh, the gentleman right at the back. We will have two questions. Sorry. 
uh, sorry, the gentleman uh, here. Dimitris Papadimitriou from the University of Manchester. If you become Prime Minister uh, in the next uh, uh, few months, or the next couple of years, your government will be responsible for the appointment of over 1,500 key public sector uh, um, employees uh, outside the jurisdiction of, uh, of ASEP. Can you give us here public commitment that uh, all these posts, all 1,500 posts or perhaps more, will be publicly advertised? And can you tell us who will make sure that uh, during the appointment process party political cronies don't get the jobs? Thank you. Thank you. The woman with the striped jersey who so modestly put herself forward. I thought this was going to be an all boys club for a moment. Um, my question is I'm Olivia Sagan, I'm Senior Research Fellow for Pedagogy. Um, my question is about grassroots activism, fine ideas, very, very good vision, really nice 21st century ideas for what will happen once PASOK gets into power. I've got some really nice memories of living in Greece through various elections when campaigning meant you drove through, through the streets in your pickup truck, you threw out thousands of leaflets, you had a huge megaphone and you deafened the local population. <laughs> what are your ideas for 21st century grassroots campaigning, given that we've got a very demoralized electorate who don't trust either the left or the right? How are we going to get into power? What are your ideas for 21st century grassroots campaigning? Thank you. So there's, uh, can you take one more? Maybe another woman. We will, uh, the woman next to our previous questioner. Hi, um, yes. I'm Lena Sagan. I'm a student of Modern Greek at Oxford University. Um, I wanted to ask that you've spoken a lot about accountability, transparency, and in fact, public money, but I wouldn't want this session to finish without a question about the Greek church. Um, a lot of progressive thinkers think that actually the Greek church and where it stands at the moment is an obstacle to any progress on anything you've spoken about tonight, and I was wondering what your thoughts on this are. Well, some good and provocative questions. Yes. Grass, grassroots organizing, grassroots organizing. Uh, well, let me just put it this way, that parties will organize to try to get their message across in ways that, uh, uh, in many different ways, and, and I think people have organized in very different ways over the years. Now, I've heard very often that, uh, you know, you, we, we parties pollute by throwing paper around and so on. Uh, well, if you have other ways of, of, of access to other media, I think that will change. And as, as television has come in and radio, that has somewhat slowed down. Uh, I think what we have also done is we have or much more organized uh, um, billboards, uh, which are, are by law uh, allow parties, but in specific areas, to put their... their, their um, posters and so on. But I don't think that you, one can really contain all the different types of, of, of ways uh, grassroots will organize. But I think what a, what a bigger threat is, is 
to grassroots politics is how representative our parties really are and how much we can really capture the spirit of, of grassroots organizing. And uh, in Greece and in many other parts of the world, the question of political money is a very big issue. And that's why we've made very specific proposals of electoral reform, not only for the campaign money, but also for how we run our how we run our own finances as a party. And we have said all our finances are soon to be on the, the internet, all our finances. We also have said we want our money, any donations to be given, to be given through the bank, bank in, a, in a transparent way and, and, and on the internet. So uh, I think this is another area which we need to look at to make sure that uh, citizens really feel that they are represented and not, not uh, uh, simply have parties that have been captured by big money or big power or media and so on. On the issue of, of uh, uh, what I would do in the, in the, in the case of, of being prime minister and, and appointing high level, I mentioned it in my speech, or I mentioned it in actually in one of your questions, but I'll be more clear on this. It will be for every top level seat, and there, as you said, thousands of them, for the government appoints a large number of people uh, for uh, the uh, councils, for hospitals, to public uh, public works, uh, uh, electricity companies, uh, banks, and so on. And there's not, not all of them are, of course, private, but some semi-private. But we have, in many areas, the competency to appoint people. What I have said, and... Uh, is that we will have an open process, an open um, uh, announcement of, of interest, call for interest by people, through the, again through the internet, where people can be, can, can, can be um, evaluated, whether they are in Greece or whether they are outside of Greece. And I say this because you'll say, well, you're saying this now, you won't do it afterwards. Well, one thing I did when I was in the Ministry of Education some years ago, I remember when we were uh, we were to advertise for a position in a university. When a university was for, to advertise for a profession, professorial position, uh, the the law said that it had to advertise in two newspapers: one Athenian and one local regional newspaper. What happened is that they would choose a date and a newspaper in Athens and in the region which was very non-transparent. And someone in Greece, much less in London or in the United States or in Australia or somewhere else in the world, would never find out that there was a position open to be, that a professor could find a job. So I, I did some, something very simple. And this was in 1994 when internet was not as, as developed as it is today. I put into law that there will be no legal, uh, uh, how would you call it, uh, announcement uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a position for, for a professor if it is not put on the internet. And you don't have at least a period of time, I don't remember if it was two months or what, for it to be on the internet before it would, be, would close the, the candidate's list. And that allowed... That very simple decision allowed for 
many important and good professors to be able to come and compete with others to get the position. So this is what we will do. And we'll do it from the general secretaries to the, the councils also. So this is, this is my commitment, and, and we'll do this. Finally, on the, the Greek church, uh, a big issue. I have uh, again and again said that we need to have two very distinct roles between state and church. This will be healthy both for the church and for the state. I recently met with um, Archbishop Hieronymus. I was very glad that when we made a public statement together, he also talked about the distinct roles of church and state, and I think that's a very important move. So I think this will be an important move of modernization for our Greek democracy. Greek democracy. Thank you very much. Thank you. If I could just ask you to stay where you are just for a couple of minutes. Now, uh, we started uh, this evening by emphasizing that George is an alumnus of the school, and so therefore he's the proud owner of a degree from the London School of Economics. But uh, we were thinking this afternoon that he probably doesn't have some of the wonderful merchandise which is available <laughs> at the LSC uh, shop. Sadly, it is closed when you leave this theatre, but it is normally open five days a week, and sales of the uh, student union shop, I'm sure, are in a very good uh, cause. Now, we often uh, present our speakers with LSE memorabilia. Uh, I think Bill Clinton had something like this. <laughs> and we thought it would, if it's good enough for Bill Clinton, perhaps you would be willing to uh, accept it. You may remember that students at the LSE often, after their intense studies, go to one of the nearby, uh, nearby uh, bars and uh, pubs. And so we thought you might wish to have an LSE tankard so you that uh, you can appreciate uh, that. Yeah. Thank you very much. But, okay. Uh, I've got to ask you for security reasons. I'm delighted that no one brought any... Uh, eggs this evening, <laughs> uh, or any other takeaway food. <laughs> I'd, uh, there's I'm still an opportunity. Th th there's still an opportunity. <laughs> a window of opportunity. <laughs> yes. I was also a victim last time, so please don't encourage me. Uh, could I just ask you for security reasons? I'm re required to ask you to stay where you are for a few minutes whilst I lead uh, George Pavendre to the reception. However, the benefit for you all is that immediately outside this lecture theatre to the left in the atrium, there is uh, a wine reception to which you're all invited. Finally, on your behalf, thank you very much to George Patton Ray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Shall I help you with these? Thank you very much.